Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. We're sticking with our ocean theme from last week and heading back into the sea for this episode. And the animal that I'm going to be talking about today is objectively one of the most majestic creatures on Earth. But I'm not alone in this adventure, as I got the chance to sit down with Simon Hilborn, who works for the Manta Trust. So get ready to catch some waves, because we're going to talk about one of the gentle giants of the ocean, manta rays. Manta rays are animals that can be found in oceans all over the world. And they can live in different areas of the ocean as well, like near the coast or out in the deep ocean. They're also closely related to stingrays and devil rays, and we're going to talk more about their differences later on in the episode. The first appearance of a manta ray ancestor was about 20 million years ago, and manta rays are actually related to sharks as well. And just like some sharks, they need to keep swimming in order to survive. They need the oxygen in the water to be constantly running through their gills. So how do they sleep? Well, it's a trick question because there's evidence to support the fact that manta rays don't sleep at all. Now, manta rays are really cool animals and there's a lot more to talk about. So after the break, you're going to hear my interview with Simon Hilborn. The person that I want to recognize in this week's episode of Notable Figures in Science is Shen Kuo, who was a Chinese scientist during the Song Dynasty. One of the things that he's most well known for is the Dream Pool essays, where he wrote about a bunch of different species that hadn't been documented before. While studying these species, he noted the importance of environmentalism, and this was way back around 1000 AD. And this wasn't the only reason that he was ahead of his time. He was one of the first people to talk about using a compass to determine north and south using the Earth's magnetic field. He also described the invention of something like the printing press, which wouldn't have been invented for another 400 years. One of the most intriguing things about him was the fact that he often talked about UFOs. He helped with the advancement of civilization in so many different ways, it's crazy to me that he's not a household name. If you want to learn more about Shen Kuo or the series in general, check out onwildlife.org. Okay, we're back. So Simon is a marine biologist with the Manta Trust, and I wanted to see how he got started with manta rays in the first place. I learned to scuba dive at quite a young age. Um, I had a slightly unusual sort of upbringing. I lived overseas my whole life. So uh, I learned to scuba dive in Thailand um, at a young age and then kind of fell in love with tropical 
uh, reef systems and the and the ocean. Um, I went to university in uh, in Southampton in the UK, where it was all cold water stuff, and it wasn't really my thing. Um, so I quite soon moved um, back overseas um, to study or work with a, an organisation studying whale sharks, and then it sort of transitioned over that I started working with the Manta Trust in the Maldives, and um, kind of been here ever since for the last five or six years. That's really cool, and it's just it's something else when you're looking at like uh, coastal tropical waters, like looking at all the the bursting sea life under there. It's it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, marine biology is is fascinating, and there's so much interesting stuff. And if I wasn't doing tropical marine biology, I'd probably be doing deep sea ecology because I think that's just so fascinating, so interesting. Um, but I really like to sort of put myself in the field and see what I'm doing and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm only really going to be doing that in tropical waters, not in uh, cold UK waters, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. Simon also created an initiative called Fish Free February. It's really cool. And I'll let him explain it. That's a new sort of uh, campaign that I've set up and, and launched actually as a as a new NGO here in the UK, a new uh, charity. Um, and the whole sort of idea came from working with Manta Trust and um, visiting fish markets uh, in Southeast Asia and seeing the sort of number of sharks and rays being landed all the time um, and speaking to some of the fishermen, some of that, uh, well, a lot of that was just all bycatch. Bycatch is when fishermen catch animals that they're not fishing for. And this could be devastating to a whole population of organisms. What they were catching was tuna and speaking to the fishermen, some of that tuna was actually being exported to Europe and America and places like that. So that kind of made me think, okay, hang on a second. Um, I know that now because I've been to these fish markets, but all my friends back in the UK who haven't been to a fish markets, they're not going to have any clue that that sort of stuff's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, it just kind of struck me that there's a lot of conversation these days about um, sustainability and how we can sort of um, live more sustainable lifestyles and reduce our uh, meat consumption and things like that. But all of the narrative is around uh, red meat and beef and cattle and destroying rainforests and things like that. And so little talk about the oceans. But with manta rays specifically, the, the biggest threat to manta rays around the world is from fisheries, either targeted fisheries where the fishermen are specifically going out hunting for manta rays or devil rays, which it appears to be on the decline. It's not as common, it's, um, which is a good thing. Um, but there's also a huge amount of bycatch fisheries. That's where the fishing fleets are targeting something else. And then the manta rays are accidentally being caught up in the, um, in the fishing nets or, or, um, or fishing lines even sometimes with uh, with long lines for some mobular species. That's why it's so important to eat fish sustainably and cut down on our overall seafood consumption. Now, let's talk specifically about manta rays. How do we tell the differences between individuals? Well, Simon's got our answer. Basically, each and every manta ray is born with a unique spot pattern on their belly, on the on the sort of the ventral surface of the of the manta ray. Um, and they're born with that spot pattern. It, it sort of it's a bit dull and faded at, at birth, but then it sort of becomes more pronounced. And that pattern doesn't change throughout their lifetime. So that's a really easy way for scientists to basically identify these individuals, much like a human fingerprint. And then we know who those individuals are based off of that. So this is a great opportunity for the average person to help scientists out. So this works great for our marine researchers around the world because we can go out and take photographs. But we can obviously only be in one place at one time um, and we only go out for a 45 minute hour dive or whatever or a, or a one day snorkel or something. 
Um, but if you imagine how many tourists are out there and everyone's got a GoPro these days, everyone's got an underwater camera, you've suddenly got a huge network of people who can start collecting data. So that's what it's really tapping into, what we call citizen science. So now everyone's able to collect this sort of data. All you need to do is get a photo of the underside of the, the belly, tell us what day it was, what time it was, what dive site it was, because we need to know where in the world it was. And we can run that ID against all the other mantas that we've kind of got in our database and find out whether it's a new manta ray that we've never sighted before, whether it's one that we've seen in that area, maybe it's been there every year, maybe it's uh, come from another region and now we've got a migratory path or a, or a movement. That's called the ID the Manta Tracking Initiative and anyone in the world can participate. I think it's quite interesting for people as well. I mean, you go out on a dive and you see a, a shark and a turtle and, a, and whatever, you never really know much about that. Whereas if you see a manta ray and you get an ID and you send it to us, and if we have seen it before, we might have quite a neat, like interesting backstory that we can tell you about that individual that we've seen it every year for the last seven, eight years. We saw it pregnant back in 2018, or <laughs> it had a shark bite and now that's all completely healed and it's moved between all of these different places. It just makes it more sort of relatable to what you've seen and more connected, which I think is um, really important. Now, you're probably wondering what the difference is between manta rays and stingrays. There's more differences than you think. They are all relatively similar. They all fall under the elasmobranch sort of classifications. They are fairly related, um, but there are major distinctions between uh, manta and devil rays and other stingrays. Um, that the shape of their body, they have more of a, a diamond-shaped body than kind of a round ring, which a lot of stingrays will have. Um, stingrays kind of as the name suggests and, and eagle rays and stuff like that have uh, stinging barbs on their tail. Manta rays don't have any barbs on the tail. So it's, uh, it's just the tail and, um, yeah, so that's all completely harmless from that, that point of view. And then they're most closely related to eagle rays and, uh, cow nose rays because they all sort of have a similar body shape and sort of function, but Eagle rays and cow nose rays, they're much more benthic. They live in the, the, they sort of feed in the substrate looking for crustaceans and mollusks and stuff like that in the, in the sand. Whereas mantas and devil rays, they've evolved to live all pretty much pelagic. So they're swimming around in the water column, feeding on plankton up in the water column rather than down on the, on the seabed. So they don't have that stinger that you would find in stingrays, meaning that they're pretty harmless. They are very big animals, though, so you don't really want to sort of get in the way of one and, and accidentally get hit by the wing because it's, uh, it's a solid animal. Oh, well, yeah, and I feel like a lot of people, if you see them on TV or on a screen, you don't realize how big these animals actually are. Yeah, I mean, um, the big oceanic mantas grow up to sort of six, seven meters in wingspan. The reef mantas, four, four and a half in some places. Um, so, yeah, these are... Uh, two, three, four times the size of a human, if not more. Um, yeah, getting up to the size of like a, a minivan almost. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Even though they're not dangerous to humans, they still have to eat something. And they use structures called gill rakers to catch their prey. Manta rays have five pairs of gills, uh, gill slits. And inside of those is a, a gill arch. Um, so 10, 10 sort of structures. Um, and that's where the manta rays can swim around with their mouth wide open. The two cephalic fins, the sort of uh, the horns on the head of the animal, they unfurl and they act as a funnel and they scoop in lots and lots of water into their mouth. And then that passes through the, the gills, uh, the gill slit. And the gill plate is able to basically redirect and, and push uh, the small bits of plankton that the manta rays want to feed or the devil rays want to feed on 
into the back of the uh, the mouth area where they can then sort of swallow it. So it's used for feeding. They're, they're filter feeders. They're plank- planktonics filter feeders. Um, so they're swimming around when they're feeding with their mouth wide open for long periods of time, um, filtering all this uh, these tiny like uh, plankton uh, animals, planktonic animals, uh, kind of the size of a grain of rice, um, filtering those all out of the water. Um, and they're also used in respiration as well. So like other sharks and rays and stuff. That's really a crazy adaptation and really cool. And um, I think a lot of those huge animals that you find in the in the ocean are usually the ones that are eating those microscopic plankton. Yeah, it, it, it's odd how that works, isn't it? I mean, you've got the whale sharks and the mega mouths and then even in the in the whales, like the, some of the big baleen whales with their... Um, that they're filter feeders as well. So it's uh it's interesting how it works. And sometimes you'll see that manta rays look like they're flying out of the water. I wanted to know why this is. Yeah, it's not entirely understood exactly why it happens. Um it is fascinating when you see it. It's it's such a cool spectacle. Um especially with the manta rays because they're such huge animals and to to get to a speed where they can propel themselves out of the water is quite quite a feat. Um, but yeah, they can basically clear themselves completely out of the water and come smashing down. Some of them like land on their belly, some land on their backs. Um, and we're not entirely sure why this happens. Um, it happens semi-regularly over cleaning stations where the manta rays are visiting a bit of reef to be picked clean of parasites and things like that. So there's thoughts that there may be breaching to, to get the itchy parasites and itchy remoras off. So they're trying to dislodge all of those things. It's a possibility. Um, but we also see a lot of breaching um, just before feeding events, mass feeding events and things like that. So there's also a potential that it might be some form of communication, um, p- possibly also for courtship, maybe to kind of attract mate or so- something to do with that. Um, it's quite hard to, to know at the moment. Um, but then some of the other species of mobulars as well, like the uh, monk's devil ray in, uh, in the Sea of Cortez in Baja California in Mexico, um, they're pretty famous for for jumping and you get these big schools of devil rays and all leaping out of the water kind of at the same time. And, and these are kind of mini mantas, the little devil rays. Um, and it's super cute. Um, so, yeah, really fascinating. But we're not entirely sure why it happens. <laughs> still, still more questions. OK, so we know that they're majestic, but are they intelligent? As far as fish and things go, they're definitely up there with some of the most intelligent species of fish. They they have these sort of social behaviors and they have cooperative feeding behaviors, lots of different feeding strategies, lots of different kind of yeah, social mechanisms and stuff like that. We're still in the early days of trying to like figure out whether there's hierarchies between populations. Um, in general, manta rays are considered to be solitary animals. So they live alone and they travel between areas by themselves. Um, but we definitely get aggregations and mantas coming back to the same cleaning stations and gathering in in large groups when they're feeding. And then they sort of start to break off into, yeah, like I was saying, cooperative feeding. So we get chain feeding where they're all feeding um, in a line, one behind each other, up and down, and they'll follow a current path. Um, or they spiral off into cyclone feeding. Um, so it's kind of working cooperatively to make the most of the, the available food, which is quite a sort of uh, complex behavior. Um, and again, we're kind of, we're talking about fish here, not, not mammals. So it's not dolphins and whales and things like that. They're, um, slightly less developed. 
but as far as fish go, they have one of the largest brain to body size ratios in the world. So of, of any species in, of fish. So that also goes to suggest that, yeah, they might have a fair amount of, of brain capacity. Just the fact that they're able to work together so well is a testament to how smart they are. You kind of get that vibe as well when you're in the water with them. There's there's definitely something going on between those eyes. Um, the manta ray will sort of check you out and swim around you and definitely sort of know that you're there and, and that there's, there's sort of something going on and they're inquisitive. Um, so it's super interesting from that side of things as well. Obviously, these huge animals that eat a lot of food are going to be extremely important to the ecosystems that they live in. Here's Simon for more on that. Yeah, so they play quite an interesting role. Um, they often feed in in different areas and then return, so sort of offshore um, areas off from the reef in deeper waters and in channels and things like that, a bit further off the reef. And then they return back to the to the shallow cleaning reefs, and that's where they spend their time cleaning. and And they basically feed in one area and, and come back and then um, can poo in another area. And that's basically nutrient transfer from from one ecosystem to another. And one of our affiliate projects down in the Seychelles found out that found that um, these manta rays were sort of um, filling this ecological niche that no other species was really doing on on the coral reefs of transporting nutrients back from uh, from from habitats off the reef back into the sort of shallow coastal reefs, um, which is quite interesting. And, and then obviously from a human perspective. There's huge tourism around these animals. They they are such elegant, beautiful animals that people really want to spend a lot of time in the water with and, and will pay money to 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 go and see, essentially. So so having them alive and having sort of healthy populations is important for local communities that rely on tourism. So they're important to the ecosystems and to the local economy. Unfortunately, they're struggling right now. Simon told me how the average person can help manta rays. I think seven of the 10 or 11 species of um, manta and devil ray, they're now listed as endangered and all the rest are either vulnerable or we just don't have enough information about. So um, they're definitely moving in in the wrong direction towards the sort of um, extinct end of the spectrum, which is is bad news. But they're also really important for conservation because they're kind of an iconic species that people can really fall in love with. So you can really connect people to the ocean environment and the marine ecosystems through manta rays people who maybe wouldn't be as interested otherwise. So it's kind of like that gateway animal that you can kind of get them hooked on marine conservation and saving the oceans um, because of this beautiful iconic species. And then through that, you can kind of hopefully get them to protect the wider ecosystem and all the other fish and and animals and, and coral and plants that live in the ecosystem as well. As far as things go for things that people can do, reducing the amount of seafood that we eat, uh, moving towards a more plant-based diet if possible. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of reduce in general and then choose sustainable options where possible. Um, in terms of other things that people can do, learn about manta rays. They're fascinating animals. There's lots of cool stuff um, and share that knowledge with other people, tell other people about them. A lot of people don't really know what a manta ray is or the fact that they're endangered or, or sort of how majestic they are. And you can also obviously uh, submit ID photos if you're on holiday anywhere around the world and you do come across mantas, like we mentioned, you can you can kind of support manta conservation that way. And similarly, if you're if you're doing any ecotourism, uh, try to look for an operator that's that has um, code of conduct and follows some sort of guidelines with manta interactions because you don't want to be 
um, getting too close to them or riding the manta rays or disturbing them in any way. So we want to try and follow uh, sustainable code of conducts. Um, and then lastly, obviously, a lot of these marine conservation organizations are, are non-profits, charities. Um, so we rely on public donations and things like that in order for us to, to continue our work. So um, yeah, donations and things like that to, to marine conservation charities goes a long way and is always well received. Yeah, definitely. And you brought up a lot of great points and there's so much that we can do to help. And when you're helping manta rays, you're, you're helping ecosystems, entire ecosystems. And some of the stuff that you mentioned just helps all wildlife exactly. and the yeah. entire earth, which is amazing. So wh- where can we find more information about the Manta Trust? Yeah, so we're on um, we're on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then our website is www.mantatrust.org. Um, there's loads of great resources on our website, educational stuff um, about manta rays and their threats and their um, ecology and things like that. Um, we've also got a, a large uh, education section with kids clubs activities and things like that. So if anyone has young children um, and looking for activities to to do and want them to be marine themed we've got lots of games and stuff on there which is which is great um and you'll find all the other information about how to support us on there as well if you if you want to adopt a manta ray or anything like that that can all be found on our website as well that's really great everybody should definitely go check that out um simon thank you so much for coming on again Uh, i learned so much and i think everybody's really going to enjoy hearing about manta rays perfect thank you very much alex it was a pleasure I really loved hearing about all of Simon's experiences and the projects that he's working on to help manta rays thrive. And luckily, we can do a lot to help them too by supporting organizations like the Manta Trust. You should also check out two other organizations that are helping manta rays in the wild right now. There's Manta Pacific Research Foundation and the Manta Caribbean Project. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of manta rays. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. You can also email us with any questions at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife and on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's On Wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray. On Wildlife provides general educational information on various topics as a public service, which should not be construed as professional, financial, real estate, tax, or legal advice. These are our personal opinions only. Please refer to our full disclaimer policy on our website for full details. Thank you.